When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Reaction Time that is now sponsored by Fairway. We, if you hadn't heard, we're extremely lucky to announce to you guys that Fairway has joined us. Uh, to cover, not to cover, I guess I should say, to sponsor wrestling content at Cycling Fanatic. Uh, the thing with wrestling, it's one of those where it's hard to find companies and really just overall brands that support the sport of wrestling. But when you do, they're extremely passionate. And we're super lucky that a big brand like Fairway is one of those that is very passionate and cares a lot about specifically Iowa state wrestling. So Ben and I, my co-host are extremely lucky that Fairway has joined us, especially as we enter the most important month of the year, which is March. Um, Iowa state just finished out the regular season. They defeated Missouri on the road to finish out the season undefeated in the big 12. They went overall 15 and one and eight and zero in the conference. They finished as the second team with the most wins with the longest win streak behind number one, Penn state, who is currently 28 and zero since February of 2020. Um, Technically, Iowa State has finished with the unofficial title of the Big 12 um, in terms of just the regular season, the regular dual season, I should say. Um, ben, you said it was the last time they were first in the Big 12. It was 2009-10 uh, season. Yes, that's correct. 2009-10. And I think the biggest thing to note about um, – that season is there was only four conference duels that season for Iowa state. So they went four and on conference going eight and on conference for Iowa state this year. Incredibly, incredibly impressive that Iowa state team in 2009, 10 finished 13 and two overall their two losses. Interestingly enough, were both to Iowa. They wrestled Iowa um, early on in the regular season and they wrestled Iowa in the cliff Keen dual meet our national dual meet um, tournament. So that's a, that was an interesting little quirk that Iowa state had that, that season is they wrestled Iowa twice, lost both times, both good dual meets, but um, yeah, only four conference dual meets for Iowa state that year. So going eight and zero this year, finishing first in the big 12, huge accomplishment for Kevin dresser in his fifth season. Um, the, the, Kevin dresser's rise and Iowa state's rise under Kevin dresser has been phenomenal. Uh, he took over a team that, one, one entire dual meet, one entire conference dual meet. And he's gotten Iowa state better each and every year. And this year he's proven that he can take Iowa state to where fans um, should expect Iowa state to be. Iowa state is a national power in the sport of wrestling and they should be a top five team. They should finish 
in the top five come NCAA tournament time. And we'll get, we'll get there when we get there, but um, we'll see if Iowa state can do that. But right now, uh, Kevin Dresser has done really phenomenal things for Iowa state and we'll see where he can continue to build it. You know, for reference, and I feel like I've referenced this every season so far, cause I started covering Iowa state wrestling when Dresser took over. Um, so when Dresser took over, the team was one in 12. He, uh, unfortunately for KJ in his final season, they were one in six in the conference and they were on a 10 dual losing streak. Yeah. And for Dresser to finish the regular season with a 13 dual win streak. And he went five and zero on the road. That's huge. That's an, that's an incredible stat. Actually. That's really impressive. Um, he went seven and one at home with unfortunately that one loss to Iowa, but I was a good program. So incredible. although like, does it suck because that's a rival and everyone who's an Iowa state fan wants to beat Iowa. Yeah, it sucks. But if that's your only loss to the number two defending NCAA champions, then I think you're in a pretty good position. Oh, absolutely. Iowa is, if Iowa state is one of the powers of wrestling, Iowa and Iowa state fans might not like me saying this, but Iowa is the power in wrestling. So Losing to Iowa, there's absolutely no shame in that. There's some great matches in that dual meet against Iowa. Um, losing it, it is what it is. They're clearly one of their top two teams in wrestling this year, them and Penn State. So um, there's no shame in that. But going undefeated wrestling, eight conference dual meets, they had one canceled against Utah Valley that never got made up, unfortunately. Um, and that's one Iowa State would have won as well. So, I mean, really Iowa state could have been nine and zero in conference and that would have been that record, that record eight and zero in conference is really, really impressive. Yeah. Like you said, we'll definitely want to touch on it after we go over the Missouri duel, but definitely something I think dresser should be proud of. Obviously I know for a guy as intense as dresser, if you're not number one, it's one of those things where it's like you, you compete to win, you compete to be number one. So I'm sure there's a certain level of unsatisfaction when you're not there, but this is incredible. Um, I think for me, it's funny to look back at 2009, 10 season as the last time they were first in the conference. That's the year I moved to Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) That's the year I learned what college wrestling was. (laughs) Definitely a weird time to look back on, but yeah, I was two years away from even going to Iowa state, <laughs> you know, I was in, in high school, sophomore high school. I didn't even know what Iowa state was <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Cause the season would have started what in October. Let me look. Oh, end of November. No wrong one. That's the season. But the season that year started November 4th. I moved to Iowa. If I remember correctly, I moved to Iowa November 9th. And I can tell you, I didn't learn what wrestling was until like three weeks later. (laughs) The high school wrestling season started. That's so crazy to think of. And now here I am. I guess I'm also five years later. Well, I guess I got hired at Cyclone Fanatic. I think it was like four or five months later. So shout out to Kevin Dresser <laughs> and the rise of Iowa state wrestling. Yeah. And it has been an incredible rise too. You mentioned that. I think you said 10 or eight dual losing streak that KJ had. I, 
I've been covering the team now for eight years, back to my Iowa state daily days, back when I was a student reporter. Um, and he had KJ had some really top end wrestlers, but he could never, unfortunately for him, put it all together. And he's one of the best guys you'll ever meet. Kevin Jackson, former Iowa state coach, current Michigan assistant coach. Um, also a former Olympic champion. The Olympics just got over, obviously winter Olympics. He was summer Olympian, but, um, yeah, Kevin Jackson wasn't quite ever able to put it all together. He had good recruiting classes, but for some reason, those always kind of fell apart too. And, uh, Kevin dresser, he hasn't made the splashiest. He hasn't had the splashiest recruiting classes. Like even that Zach Redding, Cam Robinson recruiting class last year, Kyson Tarakina, that recruiting class last year that he brought in all three of those guys proved last year as true freshmen that they can wrestle at the divisional level. None of those were highly ranked recruits. So Kevin Dresser has shown the ability to find guys um, under the radar, if you will. And not even so much. He has developed them. I'm not going to say he hasn't developed them, but he had three guys as true freshmen last year that performed really at a high level for Iowa state. So he's finding talented guys. He's improving those guys. And he is getting those high-end recruits like a David Carr. It helps that his dad went to Iowa State, obviously. But um, no, it, Kevin Dresser is building a, a true program, I think, right now. And he's not the splashiest guy. He's not getting the splashiest recruits. He doesn't have the splashiest assistants out there. But he has a really solid program and a really solid foundation that I think he's building on it right now. And he's building something really impressive. Um, I can remember when I had this exact interview with dresser and it was very early on and he and I were having a conversation about recruiting and he, and it was before David Carr was there. Um, he said, I it, it has always stuck with me that he said, sometimes it's hard to recruit when you're talking to a guy who's had a black and yellow room since <laughs> he had his own room. And when you're competing against a program like Iowa, who has shown consistent success in the last few years, it's one of those where, how do you compete with that? And I think Iowa state is reaching a point where you can say they are indeed competing with that. They are showing that they are just as much in the game as everybody else, especially in the state of Iowa. I think right now, especially with how talented you and I is, and you and I talked about this last week, you know, the conversation over the dominance of the programs in Iowa is just insane right now. It really is. And um, not to take away from that point, but to go back a little bit, even Kevin Dresser's creativity in recruiting is impressive. When you look at a guy like younger Bastida from mm -hmm. Trinidad, Cuba, I'm still not sure how Kevin Dresser found him, <laughs> but somehow he found a Cuban and who immigrated to the United States and got him to join the Iowa state wrestling program that it takes a lot of creativity. We're going to talk a lot about younger Bastida once again, in this episode later on, as is tradition at this point, but younger Bastida has proven to be an incredible wrestler. And obviously by that a recruit as well, he's a great recruit for Kevin dresser. We know that now, and it's because he is an incredible wrestler. Well, and to bring back to like the whole creativity behind dressers, recruitment. If you just go up and down this lineup, and I actually thought of this when I was preparing to cover the U and I duel, if you go through you and I's uh, roster, so many Iowa guys, Doug Schwab has done a wonderful job of recruiting in the state of Iowa. But if you go through the Iowa state roster alone, you have Hawaii, New York, um, Pennsylvania, 
You have, um, like you said, younger, who's from Cuba. You have Ramazan who's from Russia. Um, I mean, Dagan is from Montana. Montana. Like you are just, I mean, David is from Ohio, give or take, like you said, he's a legacy, but I mean, you have two guys from Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it is what he's done is working. And I think it's only the beginning, even though we're technically looking back over the last five years, but it's insane. It is insane. I mean, having a guy, I think if you look at the lineup, the way it sits, you literally have a uh, younger and Ramazan just next to each other. So you have Russia and Cuba. <laughs> yeah. No, I, there's, I don't think there's another roster out there that can, that has that at all. I don't, am not even sure if another roster has a Cuban on it. So, um, I know Iowa state and Kevin dresser have done it their way and their way has worked. Absolutely. Um, no, yeah, definitely. I agree. It's, it's exciting to watch. I think it's exciting to cover. It's a unique (laughs) way of how this program has grown. And like you said, I think you almost have a better, um, outlook on it since you started even way before I did. So you got to really see the way the program shifted from KJ to what it is now, because although you technically are a retired journalist, you're (laughs) technically not fully stepped away. No. Yeah. You, you somehow still roped me back into this, but no, I really enjoy doing this. So it's my pleasure. It's, <laughs> it's hard to step away from talking about wrestling completely. It's too much of an entertaining sport to do that. So I could follow it and I could tweet about it and things like that, but no, it's good to get my thoughts out there. Just even for my own benefit, I like doing it. So it's good stuff. Well, like we, like we said, Iowa state finished out the season, uh, defeating number nine, Missouri. They won 17 to 16. I think I was definitely more optimistic than you were. I thought this would be not as close, but it turned out to, you know, like you said, 17 to 16, that was a one point difference. The difference maker, I would say being younger Bastida, but we can definitely get to him when we get to the end of the roster. Um, a few tough losses. I would say it's exciting for the, it was exciting to see Ramazan bring in a win, but I was most excited in those early matches to see Ian Parker close out his final dual match of his career with a major decision win, something he doesn't regularly do. Yeah, no, Ian Parker isn't necessarily a bonus point wrestler. He's one of those guys where he's going to get a takedown and he's going to ride you really, really hard for minutes, several minutes. He's Ian Parker will get his riding time point. If there's one thing I'm certain of in the sport of wrestling, it's that Ian Parker will get his riding time point, but he's one of those guys where he's not going to get a ton of takedowns. He's not a younger Bastida. He's not a David Carr. Ian Parker can get turns against, um, lower level guys, which is what he did against this Missouri guy. Um, what was his name? Ethan Turner. Um, so really good to see that from Ian Parker One ten to two against Ethan Turner. And it was a very classic Ian Parker match. He got his takedown. He got hit this three minutes of riding time or whatever it was. And he got a few turns in there, which is Ian Parker getting turns, I think is a really good thing to see, especially heading into tournament time, big 12 tournament, NCAA tournament because Ian Parker right now, according to intermat is ranked number four in the nation. So he's going to be a high seed at both big 12s and NCAA tournaments. He's going to get some quote unquote lower level guys in those early rounds. So if he can get bonus points against those guys that can really 
we talked a few weeks ago about Iowa state, maybe not necessarily being a great tournament team, but if Ian Parker gets some bonus point wins in those early rounds, that suddenly shakes things up a little bit. Maybe Iowa state can win the big 12 tournament, which at this point I think is a real possibility and maybe an expectation. And maybe Iowa state gets to be a top five team in the NCAA tournament. But for that to happen, Ian Parker needs to continue to get these bonus points um, in these early rounds against some lesser competition. Something I told myself when looking at the roster, and this was before uh, Parker decided he wanted to tackle uh, going up in weight. I told myself, at least, you know, mentally when I was trying to decide how I was going to predict the season to go, the biggest thing that I was predicting was that Ian Parker had to have a solid finish to his career in order for, at least for me as someone who's been covering the team to feel this team is really taking it to the next step. And other people have really you know, stood out and have shown that they're going to be difference makers in the end. But Ian Parker is such like a fundamental, like wrestler. He is the nitty gritty of what you want your wrestlers to look like his commitment, the way he trains, I think is just like the poster. I would put him on a poster of what the epitome of a college wrestler is and him coming back for that extra year, I think is a sentiment to that. And so I am very hopeful and honestly, from the way he's been competing, I don't see why Ian doesn't have a solid finishing. I mean, the fact that he's, like I said, what winning by major decision is pretty big for him. It just shows that he can go that extra step and give or take Ethan Turner. Isn't necessarily going to be a one, two, three, four seed at any of the tournaments, but the fact that Ian can go that extra step when he's supposed to is what matters. And I think Parker will have a good closeout to his season. And because of who we've seen, he is, I don't think he's going to let his season close out any other way. No, absolutely not. And this, we've talked about both our histories as reporters, um, going back to Kevin Dresser's first year. Um, this is quite topical. Um, it was right <laughs> after the cyclone open, um, it was, I think it was me, you, and maybe another Iowa state daily kid. We were talking to Kevin dresser after the tournament and we were talking about Ian Parker and I don't remember the context behind it, but I asked about Ian Parker and Kevin dresser was like the guys like Ian Parker, the guys who do everything right in the room, outside of the room, who, like you said, very fundamentally sound, very gritty types of wrestlers. Those are the wrestlers that find themselves on podiums at the end of the tournament or at the end of the season. And we've seen Ian Parker win big 12 tournaments. He's won one. I think he's probably the favorite to win it again this year. What Ian Parker, his next step is to be an all American at the NCAA tournament. He was named an all American during the COVID year back when they didn't necessarily have a tournament, but they still named all Americans, but he hasn't stood on top of a podium yet at the NCAA tournament. Ian Parker, I think his expectation for himself is to stand on that podium and he's put himself in a fantastic position to do so. If he goes to the big 12s, if he wins it, or if he does well, he, you can still win and he can still not win and do well. But let's say he wins big 12s. He's, he set himself up incredibly well to do well at NCAAs. And I'm excited, really excited to see what he does here in the closing weeks of, wow, it's crazy to say the closing weeks of the season. 
Well, it's crazy. Cause yeah, we're literally, I was looking at my calendar today and I was like, I literally leave for Tulsa next week. <laughs> like <laughs> I will be headed to Tulsa on Friday next week. And I think with Parker, the point I wanted to make, and this just comes from the access you and I get compared to other people, but Parker, like we said, is the epitome of what a college wrestler is, but he is so like, so chill, so laid back. One of the nicest humans you'll ever meet. Like his walkout song is exactly what you'd expect from him. If you know him, he is very um, strong in his faith. He is always like brought up that he has faith in God and that he owes his wins to God, putting him in those positions. And so his walkout song is a Christian song. So it's, it's a very praise and worship song. It absolutely is. It it's not. Yeah. It's just not like the run through a brick wall, going to destroy my opponent. I hope I break a leg or something type of thing. You know? <laughs> so like, it's just, yeah, I think Parker's a very easy person to cheer for. And cause yeah, like you said, he's just so nice. And he always is a great interview. Cause he always gives you a very, um, full and long responses to your questions. And I think that just shows how self-aware he is. Cause I, I appreciate the wrestlers. You don't have to tell. <laughs> they just know. They just know that we're looking for the meat <laughs> of their answers. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely excited to see how far Parker can go. Um, unfortunately, since his time will end very soon, which is an easy transition to Jared Dagan, who's also um, on the clock at this point. His He closed out his final duel. Um, match of the of his career with a nine to seven win um a note i wanted to bring up dresser brought this up a few weeks ago but dagan for those of you who may not know he has just unfortunately been more prone to injuries he's been injured i think majority of his career but something dresser shared something that i wasn't even aware of and i don't think you were either ben nope. um, Dagan had not had a full season of practice since his redshirt sophomore year when he all American. So for what would that be now? Three, four years. Dagan has not had an entire season where he's been able to fully practice and be healthy until this season, this season, he has not missed a practice due to injury. Knock on wood. Hopefully he can take <laughs> that stretch. Um, so that's huge. So like, if you look back at when he was a red shirt sophomore, he was able to all American at such a young age. I think this season, I mean, the bar is even higher now. Yeah, no, it, uh, and Jarrett Dagan is ranked something like 20 or 21 or 22 or something in intermat. And I've thought for a while that I can see where they're getting from. He hasn't been like Jackie mentioned, he hasn't been healthy and he hasn't performed up to the level that Kevin dresser, Jared Degan himself, we expect him to, um, because he has proven to be an all American caliber wrestler. But if you look at back at the matches he's lost recently, he lost a, in sudden victory to, um, Caden G feller from Oklahoma state, who is a top 10 wrestler. He lost in sudden victory to the Oklahoma wrestler. But besides those two losses, he's won one. He's won over 10 straight matches. And he's on a really good run right now. He's wrestling his style, and his style is a wild one. And I've <laughs> always thought of Jarrett Dagan as a better tournament wrestler than a dual meet wrestler. And the reason I say that is in a in the dual meet setting, 
a guy has all week to prepare for your style. And Jarrett Dagan has a very unique style in a tournament setting. There's a 30 minute, one hour turnaround time. So there's not a lot of time to scout your next opponent. And if a guy's maybe not as familiar, I think everyone in wrestling knows Jarrett Dagan's going to do some funky things. But if you don't have all that time to scout Jarrett Dagan, the specific things that he likes to do, it's going to be tough to wrestle him. So I think that's, that's my reason and my opinion on why I think Jarrett Dagan's a better tournament wrestler than a, a dual meet wrestler. Now, no pressure to Jarrett Dagan. I need him to prove me right. But um, that's just my take on Jarrett Dagan and his um, funky style to say the least. Well, in, in this Missouri match, I believe I tweeted this, but this has to be my favorite match that Jarrett has wrestled in all season. And for those of you who may not have watched the match, it was quite literally completely up in the air every single second, probably. Um, I went in the bout sheet. It says uh, Jarrett racked up a minute and seven seconds of riding time. But quite literally, it, in the first period alone, it started with Missouri getting a takedown, but then it quickly went into an escape from Dagan, a takedown from Dagan, a reversal from Missouri, an escape <laughs> from Dagan. Like that was just the first period alone. It was just so good in that the Missouri guy, I should name him because he deserves that. Josh Edmond, he fought. He worked with what he could. He went for Jared's legs. It was just such a good match. <laughs> and <clears throat> and Edmund escaped with seven seconds left, but that riding time just it won it. Uh it helped seal that with a nine to seven win. But man, what a closeout to his dual uh career. So it was the perfect closeout to his dual career. It was one of, it was a perfect Jared Degan match. He gives up his legs, like you mentioned, but he still finds a way to get takedowns. Even though he gave up his legs, he gets reversals. The other guy gets reversals on him. It's just Derek Dagan is super comfortable rolling around on the mat. And even though he might give up a reversal, he's still comfortable enough to baby. Hey, maybe I'm going to get my own reversal back. So um, <laughs> no, it's a perfect Jared Dagan match. And I, you know, as we get closer to the end, I'm sure I'll bring this up again, but depending, you know, who the announcers are, Will I miss people mispronouncing Jared Dagan? <laughs> no. And I mispronounced it once my first year covering the team. And the only reason I did was because I was nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous. I said it wrong. And I just, every time I hear it, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Vegan. Yeah. And shout out to when I think it was a, I don't know what match it was, but Jarrett wasn't doing so hot. And so I jokingly tweeted like Deegan has, is not doing well today. <laughs> <laughs> so I will miss that banter on Twitter. Jarrett knows we're kidding. I mean, I think his dad follows me on Twitter. I think it is. And I think he gets a kick out of how much we all make fun of Jarrett for giving up the first takedown, which like you said, it's not a red flag. It's not even a bad thing at this point. He can win <laughs> matches, but things will miss about Jarrett Dakin other than his lanky, weird, funky style. Um, but moving on through the duel, David Carr notched his 50th win to close out the season just David Carr doing David Carr things, honestly, with a 14 and two major decision. Yeah. Over Jarrett JQs apparently is how it's pronounced. We had the 
the ESPN plus announcers. One of them was the Missouri director of operations. And if you remember the last week's episode, I wasn't sure if it was pronounced JQs or to me, it looks like Jacques, but um, yeah, David Carr beat Jared JQs 14 to two. And that was a very quintessential David Carr match. Got a number of takedowns, got turns. I think that match would have gone on 30 more seconds. Carr was in a pinning position. So um, probably seconds away from getting a pin in that match, but a great David Carr match that I think sets him up well for postseason. I mean, I feel like we haven't talked enough about David, but once we get into the big 12s, once we especially get into NCAAs, I mean, David's going to be front and center. And I think a lot of people have high expectations. And with David, he's one of those guys where those high expectations are positive. And he, if anyone has high expectations, it's David. And yeah. something he shared with me last year was that as the season progresses, he has like a mural in his bedroom of notes of encouragement, um, quotes, Bible verses, like drawings of the trophies. Like I can't wait to see what this year's looks like at the end of the season. Cause this is something he said he takes with them when they travel to Tulsa and when they travel to this year, it'll be Detroit for NCAAs. Um, so any expectation any of us have, whether it be reporters or fans, I'm sure his are higher. I'm sure Nate Carr, his fathers are even higher. So I'm definitely excited when we get to showcase and discuss just how incredible of a tournament wrestler he is. Um, but for now, you know, 50 straight wins. <laughs> no, no big that's deal. an incredible milestone. <laughs> no big deal. No, 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 not at all. It's just casual. Just another day at the office for David Carr. <laughs> Um, but to go to your point about David Carr having, he has the highest expectations for himself. I remember when he was a redshirt freshman, I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, my expectations are to be a four-time NCAA champion. And even this year, I'm not necessarily expecting David Carr to win a national championship. I'm expecting him to compete for one, but I don't know if I'm expecting him to win it as a redshirt freshman, David Carr expected himself to be an NCAA champion this year. So no one has higher expectations for David Carr than David Carr. And like you mentioned, he is so self-motivating. He loves his visualization stuff. Um, and he just has a phenomenal, phenomenal mindset. And I've talked to Nate Carr about this as well. And it's something that Nate's instilled in him. And it's really admirable to see. And I, I almost wish I had it, but unfortunately I do not. So <laughs> Um, if you ever need just like encouragement, you ever feel like you need someone to make you feel like you can touch the scar, the stars, it's literally Nate Carr. Yes. I interviewed Nate last season, um, after David got his title and I think Nate Carr and I were on the phone for maybe 20 minutes and I walked out of it feeling encouraged and I didn't even win a title. I wasn't <laughs> even talking about myself, but just the way he talks and just what an encouraging person he is. And a lot of guys, um, Julian Broderson specifically, someone we haven't really talked about this season, Julian had talked a lot last season about the way Nate Carr had really impacted his mental um, wrestling uh, because for those of you who don't know, Nate Carr is very close to the program and he does, I, I want to assume he still does these, but I remember last season he did um, mental workouts with the team where he just, you know, talked them through how to do the mental part of wrestling, which I think is, if you ask a coach, I believe the saying goes, it's 90% mental, 10% physical. 
and NACAR, I think has been a huge staple to not only David, but to the team and how they prepare. And like I said, NACAR has made me feel like I can do anything sometimes. NACAR is awesome. I love NACAR. I think there's not many people who dislike him. <laughs> if I, there are, I, I would be shocked if someone did dislike him. He is one of the best people on the planet. He, yes, he is extremely nice. And if David goes and gets that second title, I look forward to talking to him about it after. <laughs> and I look forward to reading about it. <laughs> um, so David did David things, um, a loss that I wasn't expecting. And I don't think a lot of people were, because technically it was an upset. Marcus Coleman, number seven, Marcus Coleman lost 10 to seven to number 24, Jeremiah Kent. Ben, initial thoughts. <laughs> yeah, initial thoughts. Um, that's a match where Marcus Coleman looked better, in my opinion, than Jeremiah Kent um, for most of it. But in the first period, Jeremiah Kent got in an upper body position where it looked like he looked really, really comfortable in upper body. And he took Marcus to his back. So Marcus dug himself a 6-0 hole. And he could, tried to claw back out. He got, what, three takedowns, I think. But um, it was too little too late. And that's his second loss in a row after losing to Parker Keckheisen. And, um, yeah, that first period was a rough one for Marcus. I don't know. I think in, if they wrestle again at Big 12s or something like that, I see that result being different just because I, I'm sure Marcus is going to stay away from that upper body position. But the fact that he got it in the first place is um, a little bit concerning, I think you could say. I think my thoughts with Marcus are kind of similar to how I see Kyson. They're not really guys who I'm worried about or feel maybe coaches. I feel like they're going to be able to really turn it around come big 12s. But something when I look at this match and I saw a lot of people on Twitter, very upset of the way it went down and, you know, criticism of the refs and how it ended up coming out with, you know, with the 10 and seven win, I mean, Kent got a minute and 25 of riding time. And I think this is, I told you this earlier. I think this is my harshest opinion I've had of Marcus Coleman when it comes down to it you can't walk out of it, especially with this type of match. I don't want to walk away saying, yeah, the refs cost Marcus that match because a solid and confident and good wrestler would have secured it from the start. That first period would not have started. zero and six. And because of how much the conversations about Marcus Coleman have been around his mental and the way his he himself can be his own um, enemy when it comes to him going into matches. I feel like maybe losing it. You and I kind of shook him up. That was a very hostile environment to lose. I think you and I in some ways was expecting Marcus to win. I think when you're coming into it ready and committed to, you know, avenge a loss that he suffered in the beginning and then going undefeated the rest of the way, um, I feel like you and I had a feeling they might lose it and for them to have won it in the reaction I witnessed. Um, I can see how something like that can bring a guy down. And so I think maybe I have a harsher opinion of it, but I think Marcus should have secured this in the first or second period. And I know it's something to say that he fought his way back and brought it to only a 10 and seven win. Cause obviously if it had, if he had lost bonus points, that would have been extremely disappointing. And I think we'd have a different conversation, but overall 
I just walked away very disappointed and I had higher expectations of how I thought Coleman could take that match. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you bring up the UNI match and Parker Kekheis and he's obviously he's established himself as a top one, two, three guy in the nation at that weight at 174 or 184. Sorry. Excuse me. Um, Marcus didn't get to Kekheisen's legs at all in that match. I don't think um, Kekheisen controlled that match from the beginning. He got to Marcus's legs and to Marcus's credit, he fought off quite a few shots, but Marcus never got his own committed shot that got to Kekheisen's legs. And I think uh, some of that, I don't know is for sure. I haven't talked to Marcus and I don't even talk to Kevin Dresser about it, but from, from my seat on the couch, it looked like Marcus didn't really take a committed shot in that first period. I don't know if he got in his own head, if he was doubting his own offense after that Kekheisen match. But like I said, he got in that upper body position with Jeremiah Kent and Kent took um, full advantage of it. Um, And then you saw, I think Marcus, a fire got lit under him and he got, uh, he got to his legs. He got takedowns and it could be a turning point for Marcus that, Hey, he got his confidence back, but yeah, a disappointing loss and one that you don't expect from a guy who now has all American expectations on him. Marcus has proven himself to be a caliber, uh, to be an all American caliber wrestler. And um, if you're going to be an all American, you can't take losses to guys like Jeremiah Kent, who in fairness is ranked in the twenties. But if you're an all American, you can't take those losses. So um, we'll see if this is a turning point for Marcus, but yeah, it's one, especially late in the season, boy, you don't want to take a loss like that. Which is why I feel like maybe the you and I match shook him. And like you said, I haven't talked to Marcus since then. I, this is fully coming from someone who has watched the duel from the perspective of everybody else, but just from past conversations that we've had with coach. And when we've discussed Marcus's weaknesses, I feel like maybe that you and I match did shake him a little and that's fair. That's now a guy you've lost to twice who you have to beat to get the title. Like you will have to beat him because he's clearly shown he's going to be up there and he's not going down easy. And yeah. And this one is just one of those where I'm just not going to look to the ref's job in that third period. I, some, I know some people on Twitter were talking about how it's just BS the way Kent wanted in the third period, because he wasn't really even the main aggressor, but ultimately great wrestlers secure it before, you know? Um, so, but like I said, I'm not fully really worried about Coleman. He's had a great season, regardless of those two losses to you and I, and this one against Missouri, I think he's going to bounce back. Um, his maturity has shown he should be able to, and especially with two weeks off before they head to Tulsa, I think he'll be fine. Yeah. I I'm on the, I'm on the same page as you. Someone whose confidence is not shaken <laughs> is one younger Bastida who has now clinched two straight dual meets for Iowa state and has just been on an absolute tear for the cyclones he was okay so he wrestled number six at the time rocky elam of missouri last year rocky elam beat younger bastida i think it was five to four um this year in sun victory younger bastida beat rocky elam eight to six in an incredible match so elam led four to zero with a minute to go in the third period. So younger had not scored, which is weird for younger. Younger usually scores in the first period, a couple takedowns and life is 
Life is rosy for younger after that. Elam did a good job of keeping younger Bastida's offense at bay. Um, Elam got a few good takedowns of his own. And I remember very specifically in that third period with about a minute left, or maybe it was earlier in the, earlier in the third period, um, younger actually got called for stalling, which doesn't happen that often for guys offensively minded as younger, but he was called for stalling. And I remember the Missouri announcers on ESPN plus saying, Oh, Rocky Elam's got him backed into a corner and he's looking pretty tired. And in fairness, younger Bastida did look really tired, but after that, with a minute to go, younger Bastida got two takedowns, one with 58 seconds left, one with 28 seconds left. And then after that, Elam looked, he didn't look broken, but he had just given up two takedowns. The match was, he was only winning by a point. And, um, it was just, he, he was on his heels. You could tell. And he's, he started to feel his fatigue and with 10 seconds left, uh, younger Bastida got a second or first stall call call on Elam. And then with one second left, he got the second stall. And if you watch the match, you're like, Oh, two stall calls, eight seconds apart. It's a little bit questionable. It wasn't questionable at all. Elam was, he threw that thing in reverse and he was backpedaling all over the mat. Um, without a doubt, two very obvious stall calls. The ref was right on it with that one. And, um, match went to sudden victory after those two stalls and in sudden victory, it didn't take younger Bastida more than I think 10 seconds. And he sealed that match with a takedown. Um, and it just a huge credit to younger Bastida for looking as tired as he did to reel off three takedowns in essentially one minute and force two stall calls is a credit to his physicality. It's a credit to his conditioning. It's a credit to his mentality because he could have, he could have felt his fatigue like Rocky Elam did. You could tell at the end, Rocky was really feeling how tired he was. Younger was obviously still just as tired, but he pushed through it and he was able to secure a win for Iowa state. And by securing his own win, he secured the win for the dual meet. And I can't stop saying positive things about younger Bastida. He is incredible. You know, at this point, we're essentially a younger Bastida fan account. We're the Stan account. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you said, it's, it's incredible to watch the way the, you know, the switch flips for him, because like you said, he started that third period with a stall call. And then what's funny to me, when you look at the bout sheet is that he was called, uh, for he had a caution call on him twice in between the two stall calls. So he was definitely tired. And I think because he was tired, he got a little sloppy when he, uh, when they were starting out after falling out of bounds because Elam was tired again. Um, so I think it's funny to see him called for getting those caution calls, which I think again, comes from him just being tired. He got sloppy, but the fact that he's able to get that takedown and sudden victory is huge. And it's even bigger because it's the second duel in a row that he secures it. Um, does everyone have to do their job? Yes. Did Isaac judge do his job when he didn't get pinned when he didn't give a bonus points? Absolutely. Well, he gave up bonus points, but he didn't get pinned. Oh, and that was the important part. Okay. He just couldn't get pinned and he succeeded 14 to four. Yes. Clarification on that. And I mean, Ramazan stepped up and got a win this week, which was great. We didn't necessarily touch on that, but it was just one of those things where guys did their job where they needed to like Parker getting bonus points bonus points matter <laughs> bonus points can truly set you apart. And in this situation, everyone 
who could do their job did it. And Younger just Younger closed it out. And I think that's a huge sentiment to his growth, to the way he's grown and just learning the style of wrestling that he was completely, I mean, foreign to him before he got here. I mean, you and I were reminiscing on Iowa state's one loss, which is against Iowa. And the fact that, um, he, what did he do? He spiked his headgear in celebration, which is a genuine mistake on his part. He did not realize like, Oh, that's going to be a point. Like that's not allowed. And, uh, coach was very passionate about making that understood that he wasn't being disrespectful. So it was funny. If you paid attention, if you look Brent Metcalf assistant coach was in the corner celebrating very much that Bastida had won, but he was like signaling with both hands, touching the side of his face, like making sure Bastida didn't get too worked up to where he forgot, like, Hey, don't take off your headgear. Do not fuck it. So it's just funny to see that and just see how far he's come and how crucial he's become. Because like you brought up when it comes to the recruiting, I'm sure nobody thought like, holy crap, Kevin Dresser just secured younger Bastida from Cuba. This is going to be a huge difference maker. I think everyone was just kind of like, oh, interesting. Like that's, that's an interesting recruit to bring in to now we're closing out the season and Bastida is a, he is the reason I think that they've been able to close out the duels the way they have. And that's huge. Absolutely. And to get ahead of myself, I was looking at the 197 pound rankings on Intermat, And like I said, I got ahead of myself and I don't see a reason younger Bastida a isn't an all American. I think at this point he should be an all American mm-hmm. B there's a very legitimate chance with AJ Ferrari from Oklahoma state being out for the season with his injury. There's a very legitimate chance that younger Bastida is standing atop a podium at the end of the NSA tournament. If you look at the guys, number one is Max Dean from Penn state. He's 15 and one. So he's lost a match. He's proven he's vulnerable. Number two is Steven Buchanan. That's one of younger Bastida's few losses this season. And that came in sudden victory when they were wrestling at like 8,000 feet elevation (laughs) <laughs> that's a match where I want to see at Tulsa because I think younger Bastida can probably beat Steven Buchanan. I know he can beat Steven Buchanan. So I want to see that match again. Number three is Eric Schultz from Nebraska. One loss. Number four, Jacob Warner, younger Bastida already beat Jacob Warner from Iowa. So we know he can win that match. Number six is Tanner Sloan from South Dakota state, who has taken a few losses to guys that younger Bastida beat this season. So man, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to put the expectation out there that younger Bastida can win or should win an NCAA tournament, but he can win an NCAA tournament. And I think he should be an all American given the level he's wrestling at. And um, I can't, like I said earlier, I can't say enough good things about the guy. Well, for the season statistics, he is overall 17 and three. And in regular duels, he went 14 and two. And I mean, we can talk about, I mean, the little things, the, I mean, coaches said it too, like he still has a lot to learn, but if a guy who has a lot to learn looks the way he does now, when we want to say, Oh, he's, there's still like tons of things for him to master. I cannot even imagine (laughs) like I almost, and this is a, I think a hot take and it is a hot take given that we haven't seen him wrestle Ferrari, but if you still have a lot to learn and this is how you're winning right now, and this is how you're stepping up for your team, 
I almost want to say that Ferrari being there might have not even been like a huge difference maker. It would have just been another match where Younger has a very tough opponent. Yeah. Not, Young, last I, year, they did wrestle last year, and Younger Bastido was the only person in the entire year last year to take AJ Ferrari down. The only person. So, and that was back when he was still learning folk style. Now that he knows folk style, who knows how that match turns out. But last year, Younger Bastido was the only person in the country to take down AJ Ferrari. Right. And like you said, um, he was still learning and that is a huge thing that he took him down. And I don't want anyone to think I'm insulting AJ Ferrari as much of a strong personality that AJ has. I have a lot of respect for just how talented he is and just who he is as an athlete. I think it's, it's in, he's a very, decorated wrestler and he deserves that attention and we can't really be certain until they face off head to head. But I think, yeah, like you said, that match alone, when younger was not at his prime and not what he is now, it's hard to tell what kind of athlete would have come out on top of that. So, well, and just to go off of that point of how, Younger Vestita is an incredible, incredible wrestler and an incredible athlete. And I think one thing that shows that is, so Kyvin Gatson, Iowa State, former NCAA champion, after he won his NCAA championship, he went down to Cuba to wrestle in a tournament where Younger Vestita, I think a 16-year-old Younger Vestita was also wrestling. A 16-year-old Younger Vestita beat Kyvin Gatson, who had just won an NCAA championship in freestyle wrestling. That I think that really, that shows how impressive a wrestler younger Bastida is. And it shows his potential to win an NCAA champion because if he's beating an NCAA champion when he's 16 years old or 17 years old, or however young he was back then. I mean, once he learns folk style, there's, I don't think there's any reason he can't now. And he is learning folk style. I shouldn't say once he is, he is absolutely learning folk style right now. You can tell he's getting better at it by the match. And if he keeps improving on this trajectory, man, he's going to be incredible. I mean, in the sound and from the sounds of it, he's a sponge. Yes. I think the fact that he's excited about it is a huge thing to know. Like if you're excited about it, then the sky's the limit really, because the passion's there. It makes me think of Ian Parker. Ian Parker's a guy I would consider someone who is genuinely excited to learn and grow. I think it's like in the past dresser has said that when they get back and if they get time off, it's Ian Parker who doesn't want to take time off. And I don't know this for, for a fact, but I wouldn't doubt it. If Bastida is out here trying to learn even on his downtime. Absolutely. I would not surprise me at all. Him, David Carr and Ian Parker are your three pillars of what you want a wrestler to look like at Iowa state. And which Sam Schuyler didn't quite have the best match either. It was the epitome and the most <laughs> on-brand heavyweight match we've seen all season. I think from Sam, it was a scoreless first period, a scoreless third period. There was only two one escape and a writing time point One escape writing time. But the reason I bring it up is because Skylar has said that the biggest guy to help him in the room is younger. And so I feel like with Skylar coming back with who we've seen Skylar just show he can be, he's going to also be just fine. Oh, absolutely. Because he has said that Bastida tires him out and just, grinds him in practice. And if that's what he has going on in his training, man, going into heavyweight matches where 
<laughs> you guys do not have that opportunity. You're going to be invincible. Yeah. Well, I remember talking to Gannon Gremmel even last year um, because I was asking who's his, who is his training partner. He's like, yeah, it's younger Bastida. And he is the strongest person I've ever wrestled. Um, he's getting me prepared for guys like Gable Stevenson, Greg Kirkvleek, um, Mason Paris at Michigan, guys like that Colton Schultz at Arizona state, those more athletic heavyweights. And I think that proved itself in the NCAA tournament and Gannon Gremmel, what he finished fifth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so going against a guy like younger and a guy as aggressive and as strong as younger is at his weight. Um, it bodes well, not just for younger, but it, it proves, it proves beneficial for guys at heavyweight. And I'm sure guys like Marcus Coleman at 184 as well. I mean, if you, which we're about to transition to that, but if we look back at just the big 12, re- uh, releasing those, Precedes last season, Parker, Carr, and Gremmel were all one seeds. Um, so clearly, whatever Bastido was able to do <laughs> in the uh, practice room for Gremmel was huge. So, yeah, and Gremmel won a Big Twelve tournament last year too. So we'll we'll, we'll credit Gremmel, but we'll we'll give a little <laughs> nod to younger Bastida too, Absolutely. as the official younger Bastida stand account of Cyclone Fanatic. <laughs> Yeah. Are we allowed to say that? Are we good? <laughs> yeah. I'm not a journalist anymore. I have no more credibility. Well, if Bastida goes out and does something wrong, I'll definitely talk about it. You can blame me. I'll take it. Well, like I said, this week, or not this week, I should say, but last week, it was a weird, weird uh time to have that duel on Wednesday, which makes sense. The turn the high school tournament was on over the stretch of Thursday through Saturday, but um I mean, I've been a huge supporter of Coleman and I mean, yeah, that Missouri match, I just kind of walked out of it, not super impressed. So I'm not out here just being biased. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like you said, it's tournament time. No more duels. We're focused on those tournaments. Uh, Big 12s are next week, which is insane. Where has the season freaking gone? I'm super pumped to be in Tulsa, which again, another nod to our friends at fairway. I'm super excited to, you know, show fairway what I can do. I, I have been brainstorming in what ways I can make that content stand out while I'm literally there on the floor. I'm super pumped just because I feel like this season, if the title's ever been up in the air, it's now, and it's the best time for it to be up in the air. When Iowa state looks as dominant as it does. Um, I'm very excited to say the least. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's going to be a phenomenal tournament down in Tulsa last year, Oklahoma state and Oklahoma tied for the conference title. Um, and that was a tournament where Oklahoma had the tournament of their lives. They had guys who pinned their way to the finals. And, um, I don't want to say it was a fluke, but some of those same guys aren't exactly having the same success they are as they did last year. So. Um, and then like we mentioned, Oklahoma state is vulnerable. They have a few top end guys, obviously guys like Dayton fix at 133 and Dakota gear at the upper weight. Um, but they have holes in their lineup. Uh, so I think this is a really good opportunity for Iowa state to, Hey, we weren't, a, Iowa state got second last year and they were in that conversation for being big 12 tournament champions. They fell a little bit short as Oklahoma and Oklahoma state tied. I think this is a year where our Iowa state's going to be like, Hey guys, we fell short last year, but we're coming for it this year. And I don't think there's a reason why Iowa state couldn't win it. 
I think it was two years ago, was it, when Dresser won Coach of the Year? Big 12 um, Coach of the Year? Yeah, was that two years ago? Yeah, I think so. Um, I remember going into that <clears throat> tournament, excuse me, he said something along the lines of like, I want to go in their backyard referencing Oklahoma state. And I want to take the title from them. And if he had that energy, then I can't even imagine the energy he's feeling now. I know. I think every coach and every athlete says this, like, we don't pay attention to those things. We don't really care about those things. The next match is the most important match and give or take. Yeah, you're right. It is like every match counts there. You know, they didn't go eight and zero in, in the big 12 if they didn't think that way, but you can't tell me you haven't been just <laughs> like, just like, you know, rubbing your hands together, ready to walk into Tulsa knowing uh Oklahoma State is not on their usual uh high and mighty uh podium i cannot give you a direct source of where i heard this where i read it i can't remember right now but somewhere something someone <laughs> said that ever since Oklahoma State had those tough losses uh John Smith has those guys working out hard hmm. Like no days off when you're losing. <laughs> and I'm sure someone like John Smith, who is a very decorated man, who has had a phenomenal career, who's had a phenomenal coaching career. I am sure he's shaken up watching his team <laughs> lose matches. He has not usually lost. And now you're preparing to go into Tulsa. And yeah, I know nothing but respect for John Smith. I love John Smith. <laughs> but yeah, Oklahoma state's vulnerable. They are, they, they were a little bit vulnerable last year. I think they're pretty vulnerable this year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out. I think if anyone's going to be the team to dethrone them, it's either going to be Iowa state or if Missouri maybe puts together a really good tournament. I could see them um, competing for the title, but I think right now Iowa state has um, the best shot at it. And so while conference titles are nice, um, the thing that really, really matters are the NCAA tournament. And a part of the big 12 tournament is the NCAA allocations. So this is a little bit confusing, especially for casual fans. So I'm going to try to explain this the best that I can. Hmm. So to earn an allocation, um, at a weight. So let's say a guy like Kyson Terkeen at 125 for him to earn an allocation, um, he needs to have won 70% of his matches. He needs to have an RPI, a ratings power index in the top, um, 33, and he needs to have a coaches panel ranking in the top 33. So Kyson Terkeen, he's going to have, um, his RPI in the top 33 He's going to have a coaches panel in the top 33. So he will earn an allocation for the weight class at 125. That doesn't mean, even though he's the one that earned the allocation, it doesn't mean he's going to go to the NCAA tournament necessarily. Let's say four, let's say four guys earn allocations at 125 um, for the Big 12. Kyson Terakino would need to finish in the top four at the Big 12s to automatically qualify for the NCAA tournament. Um, so allocations are an incredibly important aspect of Big 12s outside of the team race and outside of winning, um, the big 12 championship, um, guys need to finish at the top, whatever, however many spots are allocated at that weight, they need to finish in that top, whatever to qualify for the NCAA tournament. 
And like I mentioned, so the RPI is, um, it's a formula. It's a very confused. It's not that confusing, but I'm not going to take the time to calculate it. The RPI is a formula that is 25%. Um, the resto's winning percentage, 5%, the opponent's RPI winning percentage and 25% of the opponent's opponent RPI winning percentage. So it's a confusing formula, not really that confusing, but it takes a long time to calculate. But Kaisen Terakina has a good enough RPI where he's going to be in the top 33. He's going to be in the top 33 of the coaches panel. Um, and what's his winning percentage at? He might have a good enough winning percentage too. So he might qualify for all three there. And that essentially, I mean, he's going to get a spot. Yeah, he is 17 and three overall. So he has a 70% winning percentage as well. So he qualifies for all three arms of the NCA allocation process. So even if let's say again, like I said, there are four spots at 125, and let's say Kyson finishes fifth, he's going to get an at-large spot. So because he qualified for all three legs of that uh, allocation process, so allocation process happens at every single weight. Um, it is a little bit confusing. We should find that out later this week, I hope, and then precedes should come out for the Big Twelve tournament um, early next week. So. Um, I think that's a okay overview of allocations. Jackie, is there anything that I missed or anything that I should add or clarify? I can clarify things if some of, if something I said was confusing. I mean, I think you explained it as best as you could given the time, which Ben and I will definitely go more in depth to breaking down the brackets and how allocations and seating ended up working out for the team. Once we get to that, um, I think a good example of this in an, in the extreme for um, a good example is Chase Straw. Yeah. Uh, in his senior season, he was the 157 pounder. The way allocations worked out, the NCAA only allotted a single allocation for the Big 12 at that weight. And it wasn't Chase Straw who earned that weight either. He didn't earn that allocation. It was the other, I think it was the Oklahoma kid who earned the allocation. So Chase tried to go steal an allocation if he wanted to get the NCAA tournament. Sorry, you can continue. No, you're okay. I honestly am not 100% sure what he was even seated that year, but point blank, Chase was not the favorite. Absolutely. I don't think anyone, and this is not to be like offensive towards straw, but no one was sitting there putting their money that Chase straw was going to win. And that's essentially all it came down to was whoever came out the big 12 champion at 157 was going to the NCAA tournament. Well, guaranteed, I should say. And if, for those of you who follow the team and those of you who haven't Chase straw did win. Chase Straw was the Big 12 champion at 157. He was guaranteed his spot to the NCAA tournament. But then if you look at the allocations for, say, last year, there was over there was a decent amount of weights that had a total of five automatic qualifiers. So like Tyson Terrakina last season, all he had to do was finish in the top five and he was automatically qualified or Zach Redding, who was at 133 pounds last season, all he had to do was finish in the top five and so on. It goes on and it depends. So like, for example, at if you look at another conference last season, the big 10 had 10 total slots at 149 pounds. So all you had to do is finish in the top 10, which is, I don't want to say it's easy, but my goodness, 10 spots for a 14 team conference. It's just the bottom four guys that aren't going. So 
which this will obviously show <laughs> the unhappiness from some coaches as the allocations come out when it comes to the conference. So last season, the big 12 had 45 total allocations compared to the big 10 that had 79 total allocations with the Southern, what is it? The Southern, uh, I think it's a Southern conference, isn't it? SoCon. I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but they only had 14 allocations total. So the most any of their weights had was at most two allocations. So you had to be in the finals in those, in those tournaments. If you weren't in the finals, you weren't going to get an NCAA qualification. Yep. And so that's kind of how that breakdown works. So when you go into something like the big 12s, we will be following where the team standings are as the duel progresses as guys win or lose. You watch how the point system works, but like we're saying, there's so much on the line when it comes to those qualification, uh, those, oh my gosh, excuse me, those allocations, um, which is, it's a lot. Like I said, Ben and I are definitely going to unpack all of that with you guys. Once we have the actual numbers for this season, where we can really break it down for the guys you've been watching compete and where their future lies. So it's a fun time. We definitely have it in our notes that there are people who don't fully understand that, but want to, and we know there's diehard too. This is just another year for them. It's the second nature to those people. <laughs> yes. And so like Ben and I have said from the start, we are very passionate about helping teach those who don't know, because like I was sharing with Ben's story at one point, these are things that I did not know. Um, I was telling Ben, I remember back to when I was a freshman in high school and I was taking stats for our high school team and our head coach, shout out to Brian Poulter, wrote me a note in the stat book and said, you need to figure it out when it came, <laughs> to, the, came to the team scoring. Cause it's very different when you have a match score and how it calculates into the team score. And like I said, I didn't know what wrestling was. And I was a a very dramatic and young, sensitive 13 year old who cried, <laughs> but Jackie, you know, I was, you know, I was sensitive and look where I am now. Clearly I've grown some thicker skin. If I'm going on five years of covering wrestling, can't cover, can't cover wrestling without it. If you don't, no, you have thick skin. so which I'm sure when Chris Williams listened to this, he's going to laugh because I have my moments. <laughs> uh, we all uh, do. But Ben, do you have any final thoughts? No, I'm excited to get to tournament time. I am too. I, I love the duels and I feel I'm duels are where I thrive, but tournaments are just so high paced. And it's what makes me love wrestling is that we're going to start at 10 AM on Saturday and, who knows where we're going to be by the end of the day. And that doesn't just go for Iowa state that goes for all the teams. I'm excited to see how you and I steps up because I know they're coming for blood and I'm excited to see how OSU turns out with their unfortunate luck here in the last few weeks. So it's a fun time. Now you make your own luck and Oklahoma state's lost three matches recently. So, and you and I is another team I should have mentioned as a potential title contender. I think they have a few too many holes in their lineup too, but They've obviously got a few top end guys where if they put together a good, a good tournament, they could be right up there too. Hey, they had their, their own NCAA champion last year. I think it was one, right? It was one, maybe two. I think it was two years ago. Okay. Well, no, because two years ago was COVID. Oh yeah. It would have been last year. 
yeah, two, one year ago, three years ago, one of those two. Well, you and I is not a team to doubt. That's, that's the way I see them. So agreed. Exciting time. Ben, as always, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you to everyone uh, who listens to us ramble on about wrestling. Thank you to Fairway again. <laughs> Cannot thank them enough for everything they're doing for us and should be a fun time. A lot of content going to be coming your way because these tournaments are going to move fast. So thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you next week.